0: Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. I give green every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is God's word.
1: Uh, good morning. Good morning to you. We're well, giving Genesis one. Uh, that's where we are this term. Uh, actually, we make it out of chapter one before the end of term, but um, uh, certainly for a month, we're in Genesis chapter one. And this morning, thinking then about humanity and being made in the image of God, you know the story of the little girl who um, uh, went to her um, dad and said, Daddy, where do humans come from? And he said, Well, darling, God made humans originally. Oh. A week or so later, she went to her mummy. Mummy, where do humans come from? And she said, well, some people suggest that they come from the apes and the monkeys, and, and that's where we're descended from. Oh. And so she mulled on these two things and then went back to her dad. Daddy, you said that humans come from mankind, and, uh, and mummy says that so some people think they come from the apes and monkeys. How do those two work together? And the dad paused for a moment and said, well, I was talking about my family, and your mother was talking about hers. That probably won't do, will it, as a theory? Genesis chapter 1, let me lead us in prayer as we begin together. Our great God and Father, this morning we consider this truth that we are made in your image. And we pray that we'd understand from the scriptures what that means. And then how wonderful it is uh, and the implications for our world, for our humanity, for us day by day, would we be delighted to know that we have such extraordinary dignity that we're made in your image and therefore would we live our lives for you? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have read a few essays this week on what makes humans unique. You know, what's the current sort of thinking on, on this? And uh, broadly, in intellectual circles, I guess, the thinking is nothing or very little makes humans unique. So, uh, and people point all sorts of things. I don't know we've got a little picture of Kanzi. Uh, Kanzi uh, was quite a famous uh, ape. Uh, he and uh, his sister... Um, uh, in a a sort of sanctuary in the States, and um, well, by all accounts, Kanzi could understand over a thousand words. Uh, They gave him a a little screen with pictograms on, and he could point to them, and therefore had a communicative language of about 500 words. People say, wow, and you know, he, he had his likes, he liked apples, loved cherries. His particular favorite was toasted marshmallows. Uh, and they discovered this because he'd watched a program on it, uh, and then he was able to take a box of matches, strike one, light a fire, get some marshmallows, put them on a stick, and toast them. And people were saying, wow, wow, cancer. Yeah, what's, the, what's unique about humanity when uh, an ape can do that? Wow, amazing. And I guess these things ebb and flow, but probably you could argue since 1871, that's been a growing consensus. There is nothing unique about mankind. 1871, Charles Darwin Darwin wrote The Descent of Man uh, and famously said, humans differ from other species in degree, not in kind. There's no difference, was his argument between humanity and any other species. We're just a bit more. Uh, And so now you go and uh, what makes humans unique? Uh, And it's, well, we've got slightly bigger brains. We can use more complex language. We have cumulative culture. We build upon the past in a way not many other species do. But that's it. In a, how do you describe it? A naturalist philosophy. Now, when you turn to Genesis 1, it's very different. Because here we're told, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That's very wonderful. And a truth that actually we need to know. Because when you push it through and work it out, you end up in very different places with those two worldviews. Now, last week then, we started uh, looking at the first four chapters of genesis that 's what we 're going to do on Sunday mornings uh, the next couple of months, and we started in the first account you get two creation accounts in Genesis, and the first one is chapter one, verse one to chapter two verse three, and the main point of it is God created everything. Uh, then we get eventually on the other one chapter two verse four to uh, three twenty four is the second creation account, and the point of that is what went wrong. but this first one 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 to two three, God created everything we said last week it 's not primarily account of how the world was made, or even why the world was made. Its main point is who made the world. God made the world. But here we're looking at why he made mankind. And within this first creation account, it's clear just that humans are described differently. So, three obvious little things on that. If you just, in raw column inches, Uh, The creation, days one to five, get about, what do you call it, a column and a half of of, uh, a text. Day six gets a column all to itself. There's clearly something a bit more interesting about day six, and most of that is about the creation of man. If you read the, the whole account through, at the end of every day of creation, God says, and it was good. You get to mankind, he says, and it was Very good. Verse 31, oh, there's something different uh, about humanity. Uh, and humans get a different introduction. Uh, every other, everything else that God creates, uh, you get the uh, let there be. Let there be a vault between the waters. Let the water team. Let there be, let there be, let there be. Let there be light, fish, creatures, whatever it, whatever it is. But when you come to the creation of mankind, verse 26, it's much more considered. Not just let there be, but verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Much This sort of sense of much greater involvement. Uh, let there be coffee, uh, let there be lunch. Is a bit different from let me do it for you. Let me be involved in that. So, clearly, in these ways, humanity and the creation of mankind is different. What does that mean? Look, I just want to say two things, really, this morning. We're made in God's image, and then secondly, we're remade in Christ's image. And Most of our time will be on the first. We're made in God's image. I want to look at what the text says, uh, and then three implications of it before we come to we're remade. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're, re, excuse me, we're made in God's image. Crucially, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind... In our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. Now verse 26, uh, let's make mankind in our image and our likeness. There is not enormous difference between those terms, uh, between the image and the likeness. You get to chapter 5 verse 1 and the the text will say that God created man in his likeness. Uh, If you wanted to pull them apart a little bit, image has a sense of physicality. Just the, the, the word, Selim, it means that. So in the culture of the time, if a, if a king went and invaded another land, he would set up an image of himself, a statue of himself. So people would go, oh, that's what the king looks like. So God makes mankind as a sort of physical representation of himself in that sense. Uh, likeness means similar but not the same. Uh, a photocopy, a facsimile, that sort of sense to it. So the point being, here is mankind that is meant to represent God, but isn't him. It doesn't get you very far, I guess. What's the point? Well, the stress in the text is that being in the image of God is to rule over this creation. So verse 26, we'll make mankind in our image. Why? So that they may rule. And then verse 27, you get the same pattern. So God created mankind in his own image. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule. So we're made in God's image to rule. Verse 27, made in God's image, verse 28, to rule. That's the main stress here. Now there are other details. Uh, We're made for a relationship and we're gonna consider that next week, what it means to be male and female. Push that into next week. But the main emphasis here is that mankind is to rule to represent God to exercise dominion over this earth as stewards of his creation that's the major emphasis or to put it in very simple terms when we go to work in this world we're being a little we're being like little gods if we do the job properly very good now let me just try and push that. It's three areas to, to put a bit more flesh on the bones or a bit more detail. We're made in God's image. We're his stewards, his representatives. So what does that mean? Three little things. First, that'll give us lasting purpose. I'll get that. He'll <laughs> give us lasting purpose. So why do I ever say that? Well, God made us to enjoy him and to work for him. That's brilliant. If not, what is the purpose of humanity? Now, I I mentioned last week, if you were here, I enjoyed reading uh, Human Universe, a book by Brian Cox, uh, you know, sort of rock star TV presenter, uh, scientist that the BBC promote now as, uh, as the next thing. Uh, uh, Is the next big thing. And uh, it's a good book, uh, Human Universe. I'd commend it to you. Very very enjoyable read. It uh, outlines some of the latest theories of uh, eternal inflation and how, therefore, the universe has to make itself and so on. He's not a believer in in any sense. He's not hostile, but uh, uh, doesn't believe that there's a God. So you get to the end of the book, and he's asking the question why do humans, what is the purpose of humanity? And he puts it this way. So we're left with these questions. Why are humans here? What does it mean for us if the universe is inevitable? What does it mean if we're not special in any way? What does it mean if you are because you are? I can't tell you an answer. I can only ask... What does that mean to you? Which is very postmodern, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. You just do whatever you want and make. I mean, you, I might want to whisper to him, Brian. That's that's very much the spirit of the age. There's nothing particularly brilliant about that. What does it mean to you? But actually, when you push hard against that, that is somewhat crushing. What's the point of humanity? You got a good idea. I, I haven't. Oh. Oh. By contrast, the truth is that we're made in the image of God. Now that does inject humanity with purpose. We're God's representatives on the earth, stewarding it for him. We put it in these terms. Uh, there have been a couple of occasions over the last decade, I guess or so, where uh, friends with or family members with uh, uh, nice houses on the, on the coast, on the beach, have said, look, we're away. Do you want to come and house-sit for uh, a couple of weeks for us? Yes. Your, ha- uh, your house is very nice. Yes. Look, here's the deal. Um, you just need to mow the lawns and put the rubbish out on a Tuesday night and water these plants. Uh, but otherwise, you go for it and enjoy yourselves. We shall. Uh, thank you very much. It's great fun and not particularly onerous. But imagine, imagine, imagine. They uh, uh, Let's extrapolate for that and push it a bit further. Imagine they decide to give us a bit more responsibility. Look, um, here's our estate of uh, 250 acres on the coast. And uh, we'd really like you to, well, to run it for a period of time. And uh, here's a stack of money uh, that you can do. And really, we'd like you just to expand our house uh, and improve it and uh, build some other properties over there for staff on the estate and, and, you know, encourage them and uh, have an enormous amount of fun. I mean, look, there's a gazillion pounds in the bank. Just use it wisely and don't ruin the beauty of the estate, but just um, uh, nothing garish. uh, But, uh, you know, just go for it. You build and enjoy and... That's a bit more significant than put the bins out on a Tuesday night. Depending upon your temper, and you can have quite a lot of fun with that. But of course, that is in one sense the picture of this world. And God says, here's my world. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Steward it. Don't ruin it. But for goodness sake, expand. Use the gifts you've got to make good use of this world. And I will reward you for it. I look at how you've done and say, great, well done. And everything you're doing will have an outcome, a purpose. That's what God has given us in this world. Now, clearly at times, humans opt for senseless exploitation rather than responsible stewardship. Yeah, yeah, we know that. Don't get it right. But it is still a very wonderful task that God gives us and rewards us. There's a lasting purpose to knowing that you're in the image of God, serving him in this world. But perhaps let me push it personally. There's personal value. And our world and our culture, certainly our Western culture, needs to know that. That actually, being made in the image of God means that everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, class, upbringing, is deeply valued. And we can get that very wrong. Did you read, uh, it was last year, the, the, she was unnamed, but the 50-year-old socialite who was given the right to die by a British judge. Did you read that one? Uh, she claimed, I can't bear to watch my looks fade. Here's a woman who'd been married four times and uh, lived a certain champagne lifestyle, but was now on her own uh, and said, quote, I cannot bear to live my life in a council flat, be poor or ugly, I'd rather die. And it's the sort of thing you think, oh, get a grip. But the judge said, okay. In, her, in his verdict, said, here is a woman who's placed a premium on youth and beauty and in her own words, a life that sparkles. Lacking that, she has no purpose and so she has the right to die. Wow. If I don't have enough money, if I don't have the same looks as a, 60-year-old that I had as a 20-year-old. There is no point. Oh. To which Genesis 1 would scream out, no, 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 you're made in God's image. It doesn't matter how many wrinkles. It doesn't matter how much money you've lost. You are still valued. Those, th- those things do not determine whether you're worthwhile and have anything worth living for. But yet, oh, well, you we get a bit confused on that. So there's a headline in the paper uh, last week. Young people... Aged 14 to 25, spend an average of 100 pounds per month on trying to look like their favourite celebrity. I don't know how you come to that figure. Wow! But in a period, in an era of Insta envy. Golly! And again, you want to scream out, "No, no, you don't! You don't need to try and look like someone who's airbrushed in a photograph and doesn't look like that anyway." You do have value. So Genesis 1 screams out, you are made in God's image. And it's a truth for the, for the anorexic. It's a truth for the handicapped. It's the truth for the person who's dying. You are made in God's image. No matter what others tell you, you do have value. God cares about you. There's a real value knowing that. Let me push it, uh, spend a bit of time thinking, what does it mean more generally for human dignity? Well, of course, again, it says that every human being is valuable. And as soon as you deny that and declare that man is nothing more than than the pinnacle of evolved creatures, well, you do slightly dehumanize humanity, and all sorts of things become possible. Of course, many people don't 1859, uh, Charles Darwin's first great book, uh, On the Origin of Species. And uh, not everyone uses the subtitle, because, uh, well, it's not so PC these days. So there's the title of the book, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life. Oh. Ooh. Really? Oh, yes. Because some races are superior to others. And there's a moral imperative that they triumph. Ooh. So let me quote uh, one. one the, uh, you often get this one quoted from the Origin of Species: the Western nations of Europe now so immeasurably surpass their former savage progenitors in Africa that the civilised races of man will certainly exterminate and replace the savages throughout the world. Ooh. Really? Uh, ouch. And of course, you may not like it, but if you turn to Charles Darwin and say, Charles, why is racism wrong? Why not subjugate one race to another? He'd say, it's fine. It's natural. Now, to be clear and to clarify, he was no believer in eugenics. He abhorred state promotion of extermination of genocide, but just thought it was inevitable. So on his visit to Australia, we still celebrate that. It's on the back of your £10 notes. Charles Darwin went to Australia and discovered lots of uh, uh, creatures. But during his visit there, uh, the Melbourne newspaper, the Melbourne Review, um, interviewed him and used his teachings to write this. The inexorable law of natural selection justifies exterminating the inferior Australian and Maori races. The world is better without them, lest we be protecting the propagation of the imprudent, the diseased, the defective, and the criminal wow, you you have to do it. In fact, it's immoral not to exterminate the Maoris, Aborigines. Charles Darwin didn't condone or condemn that in his interview. He just merely said, yes, I do not know of a more striking rate of increase of a civilized race over a savage one. So, again, uh, to, to, to add the, the necessary nuance, I am not saying that you hold to uh, an evolutionism um, that inevitably makes you a racist. I'm certainly not saying that. But all it says is if you hold that position, you have no defense against racism. You cannot say that's wrong. You only say, with well, Charles Darwin, yes, it happens, it's natural. I don't think we want to live with that. I don't think we want that. You see, you just start to pick. What, if you remove the image of God from humanity, what you're left with, it's a pretty dark world without it. Or, a more modern example, more briefly, uh, a couple of years ago, Richard Dawkins uh, caused a bit of a media storm. Someone put on Twitter, I'd have a real ethical dilemma if I became pregnant with a baby who had Down syndrome. So he tweeted back to her, abort it. It would be immoral to bring a child with Down syndrome into the world if you have that choice. Ooh, again, cube. <laughs> Uh, moral outrage, Uh, so he tweeted a clarification. Those who took offence because they know and love a person with Down syndrome and thought I was saying their loved one had no right to exist. I have sympathy for your emotional point, but it is an emotional point and not a logical one. You should terminate. And of course, I mean in one sense, you don't like it, but it's the logical conclusion of the strong must destroy the weak. That's how humanity progresses. And if you can abort a Down syndrome child and have a healthy one, of course you do that, says Richard Dawkins. Of course you do. That is the way for humanity to thrive. Ouch. We don't want that, do we? By contrast, I read again. game... Uh, Mother Teresa before she died the the last major speech she gave was to a national prayer breakfast in Washington and no surprise she put it in these terms what drives me in my work amongst the poor the sick, the orphaned and dying of Calcutta each one of them is born in the image of God and they have value that is a very different approach to the weak Now, for you and me, I don't suppose we get involved. You know, these things, are, you've got to know them, uh, and you've got to realize the difference between a worldview that says mankind is different, distinct, wonderfully made in the image of God, and one which says, well, no, just a creature, and you need to kill the weak to survive. But in day-to-day life, what does it mean for you and me? Well, James, James puts it in, in sort of day-to-day language or day-to-day uh, illustration for us. Uh, let me just quote James, the book of James in the New Testament, chapter three, verse nine. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with the tongue, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Brothers and sisters, that cannot be so. If you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, that person who annoys you and irritates you, they are made in God's image. You can't praise God and curse them. You can't do that. They have value. You know, that's testing, isn't it? On Friday afternoon, as I cycled home, um, someone banged into my bike. And I'd been writing about the image of God. At that moment, when they banged into my bike and everything screeched to a halt, the first thought that popped into my head was, well, here's a poor person made in the image of God who's who's just had a bad moment driving. (laughs) The first thought was a little more irritation-driven. Um, what sort of idiot are you? Uh, was the sort of first thought not the first word I'm pleased to say Um, and yet and yet when the first thought goes and we relate to people and it's not just the person who has the accident the person who is profoundly irritating at work the person who is constantly uh, a pain they are made in God's image Oh, they may well need a rebuke. <laughs> they may well need disciplining at work. Oh, those things may need to happen. But, but they are made in God's image. So you don't curse them. You don't mock them. That's day to day. So there's the thing. We're made in God's image. It has massive implications for day to day life, for how we think of ourselves, how we relate to others. We're made in God's image. But then secondly, briefly, and we are brief here, we're remade in Christ's image. That's why we had read uh, those extracts from Colossians. We're remade in Christ's image. Now, we're not there yet, but we'll get to chapter three of uh, Genesis in a few weeks' time, and uh, they'll tell us we're made. Humanity is made to represent God on this earth, but we don't. Adam and Eve were made to represent him, but they failed. Humanity is meant to image God in this world, but Adam and Eve, they want to be little gods. They don't want to be his representatives. They want to do things their own way. And so humanity fails in its task of being the image of God. And so the image of God within humans is broken. Not completely eradicated, it's still there, but it's distorted, not destroyed. So you and me now, we're like a beautiful vase that's been dropped to the ground and smashed. And it's been put back together, but it's not quite right. It's not. It's there and you can see the pattern that was there, but it's, not, it's a bit wrong in places and there are little bits missing. We're, we're distorted now. We don't image God, represent him as we were meant to be. And that, of course, is where the New Testament says, and into this world came one who was the image of God. Perfectly. And who lived in the image of God, representing him. Perfectly jesus christ he doesn't fail represented god wonderfully relates to god perfectly and yet of course the heart of the christian message is where you and i fail he was the perfect image of god and yet upon the cross he was willing to be shattered so that we could be restored to god's image He rose again so that in him we can once again reflect God's image rightly. And so in Colossians 3, we're getting there. In him, we can be the image of the invisible God. Never perfectly this side of creation. But if you're a Christian, submitting to the word of God with his spirit dwelling within you, you are being restored, slowly, 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 to once again image God more accurately, more wonderfully. It's a process. I read the story this week, it was on the BBC website, of uh, Melissa Dome. Um, She was a 20-year-old student in Florida who uh, went out with a slightly unsuitable character and when she broke up with him, he went a bit crazy and stalked her and stabbed the 20-year-old Melissa 32 times with a hunting knife. It was extraordinary, she survived. Now, the images are pretty gruesome. Here was a sort of more, I don't know if we got it, a more palatable image, one I could actually show. But here was her, uh, a, a, a few weeks after the attack. 19 of the knife wounds were to the face and to the neck. Uh, she lost teeth. Uh, her, half her face was paralyzed because of nerves severed. She put it this way, when I looked in the mirror for the first time after the attack, I just sobbed. I was 20 years old. It was devastating. Oh, my faith was strong. I knew I wasn't still on earth to be mad about what I looked like, but I was devastated. Uh, she had two and a half years of surgery upon her body, upon her face. And uh, although the paralysis will never go, actually, two and a half years later, and if we got it, uh, uh, the image, she's almost back to what she looked like before, almost, not quite. Obviously, her face will always droop on one side after two and a half years of surgery. Now, the sweet side of the story is this the first paramedic on the scene uh, to stop her assailant and drive him off was a man called Cameron, uh, who got her to hospital and was involved in her case, uh, was with her in court when she uh, stood up and the defendant was put in prison. Uh, helped out with her surgery on a number of occasions. Uh, two and a half years of surgery, then a half year later, they started dating, and he is now her husband. It's quite a sweet story. Now, I tell you this, it's not perfect, but let me put it in these terms. There was a woman who, well, who was destroyed in one sense by sin. The, the, the image of God was ruined in her, broken in her, and yet, there was a man who, who rescued her. There was a man who walked with her, as her image, as her face was surgically restored. There is a man who has, has married her. Now, it is slightly twee, but wait, do you, do you get human? Humans, humanity, you and I. Well, we're distorted. We're not, we're born not the people we're meant to be because we're born in a sinful world and because we're born as sinners, we're distorted. And yet Christ rescues us and slowly, slowly, slowly transforms us. Of course, God performs not cosmetic surgery but character surgery upon you and upon me. And so never perfect, this side of heaven, but we are slowly, slowly, slowly being brought back into focus as the image of God because of what Christ has done. And one day, or one day in glory, perfectly so. But he's doing that work now. You and I, we're made in God's image. That is a precious truth. It's an utterly foundational truth. And Christ is restoring us if we've trusted in him perfectly to the image of God in our characters, that's very lovely. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, here is a truth that is so central to humanity, that we are not just an evolved creature, but that we're made in your image. And that confers upon us a dignity and a value. And how across this globe we need to know that, that it is not okay to dehumanize people and treat them as creatures, as treat them as less than we are. Father, how we need to know that even in the West, with our wonderful Christian heritage and legacy, which means we do put an enormous emphasis upon human rights, even though we recognize that that is in some ways being eroded and people say there is nothing special about humans. Father, how we need to know this for our culture, how we need to know it personally, that we are loved and valued because we're made in your image. And Father, we know the flaws within our characters. But thank you that through Christ we're being remade, restored. So one day in our characters we will be as beautiful as he. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.